Hi, I'm Tony. And I'm Patrick. Welcome back again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way uh, through Greg Bonson's book, Against All Opposition. So, you know, there you have it. Yeah, he is uh, He's quite a fighter here. And uh, we worked our way to chapter six. And this chapter is entitled, What is Philosophy? And, you know, as I was going through this chapter, I, I was saying, wow, this, this feels like almost exactly what I do when I'm teaching my intro to philosophy class. So <laughs> I was really comfortable with this chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, you've, you've, you've taken philosophy 101. Why are you here other than uh, it's a 101 and, uh, yeah. and you needed to fulfill some uh, prerequisite credit. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then, and then you get hooked because you talk about what is time and you go, I know what time, maybe I don't know what time is. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. Yeah. I, I still, I still have all, all my books behind me from my, my intro class. Cause each one go. was formidable in, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Arthur Falk was my oh, intro I teacher Dr. Falk. Yeah. from Western uh, Michigan university. And, yeah. and uh, the, the very most I could say about him and, there's a lot that people say about him uh, for good and for bad, uh, like everybody, <laughs> but uh, is that he made it interesting. And there was in a lecture style setting, he he made it so that uh, people discussed the material, which was odd because I mean, it's an intro class. And so you're right. right. You've, you've got a lot of uh, opinions in there. And he, he for, for an old spry guy, he was very spry. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, man. I had him for two graduate classes. I had him for a class in epistemology on truth and uh, for an Aristotle class. So it was really fun uh, with uh, Dr. Paul. Right. So let's jump into it. Now, now, Bonson says that this may be the toughest chapter uh, in his book Against All Opposition. Uh, he says the one, this one might lose people is what he suggested. So he's kind of warning us ahead of time and asked us to kind of stick with him until, you know, we can get the basics down. And this clearly, uh, from his perspective, where he's coming from with regard to worldviews and that sort of thing, is the basics is what we're gonna cover today. He says he's gonna show us how to start dismantling the unbeliever's worldview, but in order to do, uh, do it well, he tells us, uh, we're gonna have to um, know what we're doing and what we're dealing with. So right. that's how he's kind of jumping us into this chat. Right. Yeah, so, so if you're kind of looking for uh, the, the manual, all right, let, let's get to the meat and potatoes. You, you have to get, you're, you're reading until chapter seven to, to kind of get to the to the crossfire section. And so uh, Bonson does a good job of of showing out and laying out. It, it's it's it kind of reminds me of what we did for um, Dr. Anderson's uh, 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 Why Should I Believe Christianity? Oh, is that right. he, yeah. he builds it so slowly and well uh, uh, to 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 get to the to main points. But you, you have to start with certain assumptions, certain ideas that you may not have um, kind of uh, thought of before or looked at before. And so that's what uh, Bonson is here uh, and doing on just what is philosophy. And you might think, oh, you know, what do we care about? Oh, you know, uh, uh, are grasshoppers beautiful? Oh, uh, like, like <laughs> I should care about that. And he actually discusses uh, something along those lines as well. So he says, uh, I have told you that everyone has a worldview. You have one. The unbeliever has one. Again, that, that's why in the last uh, two uh, episodes we talked about neutrality, not neutrality so much as well, I don't really have an opinion on the subject is that 
your underlying assumptions, you can't start with a neutral uh, starting uh, point. And so, so uh, the short clips that we make on, on YouTube, uh, someone's, uh, uh, said, oh, well, you know, you have to start with neutrality when you're talking about God. And that person was coming from a point of view of saying you have to start with uh, no assumption on if there is or is not a God. And that's not the neutrality that's being talked about there. It's having neutrality on everything, including right. your basic assumptions. And so right. uh, one of those things that Bonsa says is that we can't be neutral on is as uh, uh, having a worldview. Now, you, yours might be uh, uh, underdeveloped, it might be overdeveloped, it might be uh, inadequate. Uh, think about children, they they have what they're able to take in from their just personal experiences, but they always go to their parents and ask, well, why is this the case? And so you know, the, the, the joke of, 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 of your children always asking you why until you get to some, some uh, very philosophical points of view so, sometimes yeah. makes uh, parents the best uh, of all philosophers there. Yeah, well, kids are tiny philosophers as well. That's why they're asking questions. <laughs> That's right. And, and and so you, you get to the point where you just go, well, because uh, I, I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> Soon, soon the facade will come down, and they'll realize that we don't know everything, and and that's when uh, the rebellion starts. <laughs> but when the unbeliever wants you to be neutral, he's trying to neutralize you to take away your worldview, and then continue using his own, which amounts to winning the debate by default. The hold uh, heads I win, tails you lose type of deal. He will not yeah. give up his or her presuppositions. It's impossible to do so. You must not give up your presuppositions. And again, this is something we want to point out. You can't do, it would be improper to do, and it would be for, especially for Christians, immoral. immoral. To do. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone has underlying uh, philosophy, says uh, Bonson tells us. And, um, he, he talks about uh, this, uh, he thinks about an individual, he says, who says something like homosexuals can't help what they do, right? And Bonson tells us that on that view, human nature, that view of human nature, dictators can't help what they do either. If that's the case, and you're not going to oppose homosexuality because they were made that way, then what gives you the right to uh, oppose dictators, for instance, who were also made that way? And the point he's trying to make here. Uh, is that um, the person who says this has a profound philosophy, but it's not a philosophy that's in agreement with itself, right? It's inconsistent. In other words, the only way it would be consistent is we'd have to treat both kinds of folks in the same way. And obviously this person isn't doing this by, you know, how they're characterizing their argument. Right, right. And we could talk about this with serial killers as well. Well, sure, we, we might need to remove them from society so that they don't uh, kill us all or kill, you know, who, who their intended victims are. But we, we can't judge them. I mean, they were born this way. They, they There's there's uh, a, a flaw, and uh, to even call it a flaw is uh, in of itself a presupposition because right. uh, who, who's to say that the serial killer isn't the next level of human evolution to come about? And uh, here's here we've we've lived in some prosperity and now it's time for the hard times and we, uh, we need the serial killers to uh to to come and, and round us and uh, call the herd a little bit uh but but uh but to then judge uh people based on uh of varying other characteristics well why can't we just use the same uh basis there so so either there is choices or uh or there's there's uh 
uh, uh, by nature and uh, to, to not distinguish between uh, two, e even if you say that there's a mixture for some and a mixture for others, uh, to, to just uh, unqualify those as saying, oh, we need to take out uh, dictators because uh, they're acting immoral. But people that do uh, other immoral things, uh, well, uh, I support those people. And so, uh, or, or I don't want to judge those people because I might be judged or uh, what have, what have you there, um, is where we, um, where we run Are into inconsistent. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that, that's what we want. And, uh, the whole process now, the, especially the political process, um, of, of pointing this out. And I, I forget who I was listening to this week of, of, uh, no one cares anymore about consistency, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still do it because we still, uh, it might be preaching in the choir, but still the choir is there in the church to be preached to. And so <laughs> we still need to talk about when people are being inconsistent, even if they claim that they don't care, uh, because it's one of those things that, uh, you can, uh, I think Doug Wilson says that you can only, uh, exist in an unreality for so long until reality comes crashing into your face. And so, right, right. so that's yeah. what we're, we're doing here. You can only think the wall doesn't exist in, until you run into it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Nose meat wall. Hi. That's right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so uh, turning to the page uh, of not all philosophy is good philosophy. Uh, the issue mm -hmm. is not whether you do philosophy, but how well you do it. People mm -hmm. do not decide to do philosophy. They don't just sit down and stroke their chin and, okay, I'm in philosophy mode. Uh, no, they're doing philosophy is unavoidable and it's unavoidable today, yesterday, tomorrow, what you're probably doing right now, especially if you're listening to this, obviously, but uh, if you're going shopping, if you're uh, 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 talking about education with your, your children, um, if you're watching sports, uh, you know, even in there, you're, you're talking about philosophy. Oh, have good sportsmanship. Oh, well, why? Uh, you can get away with un unsportsmanship. You take a penalty for it if you get caught, but let's try not to get caught. Or you want to, you want you, you have some esoteric view of, of the, 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 the goodness of the game that you want to preserve. And so, uh, you talk about, you know, the heels or, you know, dirty players and stuff like that. So but even in sports, uh, you're, you're talking about philosophy. So it's not whether or not uh, you want to do philosophy or not do philosophy. The only question then is whether we will do our philosophical thinking reflectively, consistently, and well. And so that's yeah. what uh, Bonson is challenging us to do here for us to challenge the other person and for ourselves as well, especially as Christians. We, we, we want to have the most consistent worldview. And sometimes even within our own uh, theology, we might uh, run into those opposing things. And so we either need kind of rescuing devices that, that uh, bridge the gap between what we see as inconsistency, or we should recognize inconsistency and then change our, our theological beliefs. But we also need a standard for that. And so that's what he's gonna talk about. Right, in fact, so he says that the ordinary man in the street is distinguished from the academic philosopher by his lack of resolve to answer the fundamental uh, questions of life in a consistent self-conscious and reflective way. So that's the basic difference. He says the difference between, you know, the ordinary guy on the street and the phil philosophy professor is one of degree, right? <laughs> not degrees, all of them, but, both, but yeah, degrees. That's yes. right. Yeah, yeah, not degrees, but degree. Yeah, both, all our philosophers, but not all aim to be good philosophers. And we hope that he's talking about the aim to be good is with the philosophy professor, but you know, might be one or the other. 
<laughs> he says, we can take the most uneducated person that you know, right? And at some point in his life, he's going to wonder what is real and what is not real, right? He says, everyone has, uh, who decides that, for instance, Santa Claus is not real, uh, has practiced some degree of philosophy, right? Because they're making a metaphysical uh, deduction based on their information, right? So is Santa Claus real? Well, when you ask that question, you're doing philosophy. <laughs> yes, and and uh, assuming this uh, this uh, is still on YouTube uh, two years in the future, uh, Cave of the Cross Apologetics does not uh, endorse any view of Santa Claus being real or not real. Thank you. Uh, and so uh, please do not Good strike boy. us, our channel. Thank you, <laughs> overlords at YouTube. Uh, but you can also find us on Odyssey. So uh, I'm st still uh, sure there's still free speech there in the future. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, the process of education systematizes our curiosity and teaches us to reduce our experiences of the world to generalizations. It's, it's, it's what we do in philosophy. It's what we do in science. Um, you know, when you're learning physics, you're kind of learning, okay, well, uh, you kick a football over the field goal, the field goal is this tall, uh, you started th this far out, uh, you know, wh what's the force required to get the ball over the, the, the uh, goalpost? And then apply that to rockets. And so you, you take the, our experiences from the world and you kind of generalize them. So that way you can say, oh, I know what, how to launch a rocket to the moon is the same way you kick a football over uh, the field goal. You just need a bigger foot and uh, yeah, to, to, to get more oomph in, into it. And so uh, that's what the, the rocket fuel helps do. But this is what the process of intellectual growth is all about and what the educational process tries to develop or I should say, should try to develop your ability to reduce the diversity of your experiences to certain law-like generalizations. And that's what kind of is helping you to inform your worldview. And especially when we take a look at scripture, we, we do that where we say, okay, uh, this is God saying, uh, 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 I, I declare th uh, this thing as evil, uh, lying, murder. And so, uh, uh, if, especially if you look at uh, the Western uh, Shorter Catechism, it talks about, well, you know, this is what the, the seventh commandment is, the eighth commandment, the ninth, and so on. And so what do we pull that we're required to do? Uh, and also what are we uh, uh, required not to do. And so uh, th they take these generalities and, and they say, here's, here's what we know that God hates. And so we need to, to find similar uh, law-like uh, uh, fashions to inform us on what we shouldn't or shouldn't do. So uh, preserving life is good, including that of your neighbor, because you should build a parapet around your rooftop. And so uh, if anyone uh, happens to sleep up there, including your your neighbor, then he doesn't fall or, uh, uh, you know, make sure your 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 pits are are, are gated off so that uh, the your neighbor's bull doesn't uh, fall into there. And if they do, uh, you should uh, uh, pay them a, a, a proper rate to compensation. That's right. Yeah. And that's what we've done. And those those laws there, why, why why the Western world views the Ten Commandments as important is because those models then informed our other things. Like uh, if you back into somebody's car uh, and and you should have been looking, you should pay the damages for it. And so that that generality is applied to the law. And so the law that we have in the Western world is taken from the Ten Commandments as well as a, a few various other places. And so what the law does then is to try and apply that uh, uh, generally and broadly to everybody, because that's what we view as the uh, fair system here. Right. Now, and generally, when you're talking about this kind of, uh, uh, you know, reducing your experience to law-like generalizations, really what he's describing here is uh, induction, 
right? This is what we do with regard to induction. We, uh, you know, we take particulars and then we say, you know, that's a white swan, that's a white swan, that's a white swan. Therefore, probably all swans are white. So now the law-like generalization is every time that I see a swan, it's going to be white, something like that. So it's a, he's really describing the inductive process here uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, what logicians call induction. Right. And the, the, uh, the ugly duckling syndrome. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's just an ugly duckling. Oh, no, yeah. wait, hold on. It's That's the right. swan. It's the That's swan. right. <laughs> uh, and then he moves on. He says, philosophy is resolving differences and conflicts. And he says, so what happens when you start generalizing about your experience in the world is that you find that certain conflicts come to mind. Uh, you learn that some people are, uh, you know, pleasant to be around but other people aren't pleasant to be around, right? And you learn that some people like math, others don't. And so you start realizing that there are differences between human beings when you start this process, right? Notice he's being really general. He's kind of starting at the very beginning because he's working his way up. Mm -hmm. Right, it, it, it's showing one of the reasons why we do philosophy. I, I think uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe talks about this in his uh, conflict uh, debates or something along those lines is, is um, how do we have a good discussions and it can't be uh, 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 both sides have to be equally without the use of force or force uh, used against them in order to have the, the best type of uh, uh, conversation. And so uh, th that's kind of the general uh, point is he's trying to make is, well, instead of fighting for things as mankind is, has done for centuries and over very little things like the strip of land between uh, uh, Ohio and Michigan that causes a war between the two states there, um, we let's try talking things out. And so what's the what's the best avenue of talking those things out is having a consistent overview on how to approach those things. But now, uh, what if you were to generalize from that? You might conclude that uh, that what makes people happy is relative. Some people are like this. Some people are like that. Therefore, everything is relative. Uh, Austrian <laughs> economics t t kind of talks about this. It says that uh, that people have uh, are, are view things as important based on relative needs. And so, uh, you might want a big house, but your neighbor. Who, uh, who doesn't have uh, very many things, is older, uh, uh, unable to walk upstairs, might want that uh, one-level house uh, based on based on their uh, needs or wants. And so uh, what Austrian economics does is say, instead of uh, uh, variableizing everything and trying to systematize everything, we, we realize that people make relative choices, but then from there, we can then pull out and say, what are, what are the, the base assumptions that we can make by not systematizing every intricate decisions saying, oh, well, you know, if, if you were given the option to to pay, you know, uh, $500 for a 10,000 square foot house, you would definitely take it. Well, except for those people that wouldn't use it. And so, so it moves a step back and say, okay, let's look at what, how people make those relative decisions. And so that's the difference between uh, like Austrian economics and Keynesian economics. Here, most people are relativists and they live comfortably with that relativism. They they apply it to everything. They say, mm. oh, well, since people like chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream, well, then uh, people that view murder as wrong and view uh, it as just fine are probably just in the same boat. And we just kind of have to live and let live. Well, mm -hmm. sadly, that is our culture. They believe that because people have different tastes, then our values are up for grabs just as a matter of whatever pleases you. 
And right. he's so, going to not make that point. <laughs> exactly. So he's describing moral relativism, right? What may be right for you, morally speaking, may not be right for me, morally speaking, and vice versa. Because why do we, how do we get there? Well, because people have different tastes, right? Some like chocolate, some like vanilla. So I guess our values are the same way. Some like murder, some like, you know, peace or whatever, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, and obviously that is not the proper way to, well, that, that we shouldn't draw that kind of, uh, you know, conclusion from just because people have different lights, right? But right. He's, he's, he's suggesting that's kind of the basis of the moral relativism that we see in our society. He says, we also learn in physics and chemistry and other hard sciences that there are things that work together in a causal relationship. Right. In fact, he says before you uh, got to school and systematized it, you learned about causal relationships at home. Right. When you put your hand on mom's hot stove, you know, you realize I don't want to do that again. Right. There was a, that caused the pain. So hot stove is pain. So I won't do that again. And so he says we grow up and learn certain generalizations about the world. We talk about, uh, you know, he's talked about two of them for us, right? One is that the world operates in a cause and effect, law-like fashion, hot stove pain, right? The other is that everyone is different in some way, right? Some like chocolate, some like vanilla. And so when you ask, how do I bring these two principles together, he says, now we've started doing philosophy. Right? That's what his point is here. Right. Well, you know, maybe the stove is hot for you, but it's definitely not hot for me. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe you should try sure more, and and then I'll I'll see if if the the tests ring out, and then maybe I'll yeah. yeah. <laughs> so important decisions are made based on your generalizations about the nature of reality, how you know what you know, and how you think you ought to live your life. And we ask these questions like: Should we execute murderers? People will defend their answer by taking a step back and uh, resting on their generalizations about the world or human nature or whatever it might be. They defend their view on very important issues by falling back to their philosophical assumptions. So talking about, well, you know, I don't trust the state enough to, to pave a street. Why should I trust them to uh, execute murderers? And then Ooh, they might come yeah. come to, to face that by saying, well, uh, you know, I, uh, th th this this murder has murdered uh, my my sister. Uh, th they're on camera doing it, and uh, they're unrepentant, and they say they're going to do it again. Well, can I still take a step back and say, well, I don't trust the state enough to do this, and so you might come into conflict with that, and so uh, we might have to uh, uh, reevaluate that generalization, or maybe even take a step further back. And so he's saying from these specific instances. We fall back and say, "Okay, uh, how can I be?" Uh, we might not have that uh, that full force consistency that, but we're going to look back and and try and go back to our generalities uh, to then apply out uh, to the uh, to the specific uh, instances. Like, uh, should we execute murders? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you know, his next section then says, "So what does it mean to do philosophy?" Right? He says, "Everyone does philosophy, but what does it mean to do?" philosophy. And he says there are two basic tasks of philosophy. The first one uh, is that there is a critical task. The philosopher cross-examines people's opinions, right? And he says that's the critical task of philosophy. That's where philosophers, you know, are analytical. Uh, they try to draw distinctions. They look for logical relationships. Uh, they try to get people to make sure that they have evidence for what they say. 
and you know they're not being arbitrary and that sort of thing. So that's the analytical, critical portion of uh, of philosophy. That's the critical task of what he says. Right. Uh, So then he goes on to say, well, philosophy is not limited to the classroom. That's why we kind of think of like, well, there's philosophers and they they sit in their ivory towers and they have uh, surrounded by books and they're uh, unkempt hair and they're just writing, writing, writing. And then they have to go and uh, enter out into the world just to teach their their students in order to uh, have food to eat. Well, you can't operate in the world without some view of reality, knowledge and ethics. So reality, how the world is knowledge how we know things and ethics how we how we uh, operate how we exist how we do things in the world everyone has this basic philosophy uh, the first task of philosophy we said is to critically examine people's assumptions to find reliable presuppositions about metaphysics that's reality uh, epistemology that's knowledge and ethics which is uh, kind of the the right right and wrong how we how we know those things uh, what are the right and wrong things uh, and the principles for that these assumptions are the foundation of people's lives uh, I'm, I'm gonna get a, a, a bus why do I wait for the doors to open because I, I believe that those doors are real they exist um, how do I know uh, when to show up at 915 for that bus uh, uh, why am I confident that the, the the clock that I read on my my wrist or on my wall uh, is there and then also should I pay the the tab for the to to, to use the bus as well uh, or the driver's uh, looking down doesn't notice me uh, so it's it's fine because uh, he didn't see me those are all assumptions that we use and guess what you just got on a bus congratulations you've done philosophy yeah. <laughs> but if those are the foundations we also need a roof something that draws all these areas of life together into what we call a unified worldview yeah, good. So we have the critical portion, the analytical portion, he says, is the foundation, asking these various questions about metaphysics, the study of the nature of reality and ethics, the study of values and epistemology and all the study of knowledge. And so that's the foundation, he suggests, and we ask critical questions about those. But now what about the, the roof that we put on the philosophical foundation, he says? And, and the roof, he says, is answering the question, What's it all about, right? Once we've done our study in literature and history and biology and, you know, physics or whatever, someone ask, must ask the question, what's it all about? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we bring it all together is what he's getting at. How do we relate, relate what we've learned in, for instance, political science class to what we learned in literature class to what we learned in psychology lab, experimenting with how, for instance, I don't know, rats uh, react to stimuli, right? How do we relate all that stuff? How do we bring it together? And so he's suggesting here that's the second major task of uh, of philosophy. Right, right. So philosophers don't do a lot of good, detailed, interesting stuff in between, but they help us lay a foundation. They help us tie it all together into a worldview. And he gives this definition of a worldview is a network of presuppositions, those most basic convictions we all have about reality, about how we know what we know, and about how we should live our lives. And so uh, that, that's the, the, the definition that he gives for worldview here. And he says, in, in terms of all experiences, it's all related and interpreted through that uh, set of our most basic convictions. And then sometimes we run into things that fall outside of that. And that's uh, what we talked about with Nancy Piercy 
uh, book, uh, Finding Truth, is uh, sometimes people try to uh, build their worldviews and things fall outside the box and they quick close the box shut and those things get lopped off and those, oh, those <laughs> things don't exist or, oh, th that's just an illusion. Uh, th those don't really uh, uh, exist in the world. And so uh, we can ignore those. Um, meanwhile, uh, other people are, are getting more of the, uh, the octopus uh, tentacles in, inside, the, inside the box. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Her point is, you know, if it doesn't fit into our worldview, we kind of cut it off, right? right. We lop it off and close the box. Right. And unfortunately, Christians don't have that ability to, to do that. We, we have to get everything inside the box because we say God made everything. So that includes everything. And so we yeah. can't, we can't uh, leave things that exist outside of the universe, uh, maybe outside the universe, but, uh, but we don't know about those things, but everything inside the universe, which includes everything. Uh, so uh, 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 dog toys and, and murders all have to fit inside that, that, uh, that box. Yeah. Yeah. And so he says that worldviews are a uh, package deal, right? A worldview is a network of uh, presuppositions uh, those, you know, most basic convictions that we all have about reality, about how we know and you know, how we should live. Uh, it's in terms of them, then these things that we evaluate our experience and everything else. They help us tie together all of life and make sense of it to understand beauty and justice and human dignity and logic and science and the meaning of life and everything. So our worldviews help us to tie everything together to help us to give us, at least from our perspective, based on our worldview, some understanding of the way uh, the world is. Right. Right. And it's important to note here, too, that, uh, you know, even your most uh, uh, basic person who hasn't thought about these things in those those grandiose terms is still operating uh, within that. They 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 have lived experiences. They've built things. Uh, there's a consistent ish nature to, to how they operate in the world. They get up, they go to work, they come home, they watch TV, they fall asleep, even within the scope of doing those most, most basic things. If they, if they only exist to work and then come back home and, and watch TV and fall asleep, they're still operating, uh, uh, w with some of these basic understandings that they live the world by and see the world by, well, there's nothing that really happens. I'm not that important. Uh, so as long as I continue to make the widgets at the factory, I can come home. And what's most important to me is <laughs> watching TV, my favorite shows. And why are those my favorite shows? Because uh, they they uh, they seem to inspire me to uh, to a life of beauty and, and uh, external uh, uh, heroics. But I'll never live that way because I'm not good enough. I'm not like the people on TV. And so I have to continue to go into work and make my widgets and come back home <laughs> and, and live vicariously through them. Even there, that person is still operating in worldview, even if they're not saying, okay, well, what is my uh, ethical epistemology occurring here? That's still uh, 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 being realized out in, in how uh, we're living. And that's a, a foundation where we can um, talk to other people about. And so that's what um, he's, he's trying to kind of make that point with here. Right, right. All right. So he says, that's why I said a worldview is not tested by natural science. You don't test your ultimate commitments by natural science because natural science also rests upon the commitments. Is the world real? The, the matrix, uh, the, the Hindu uh, um, uh, um, view of reality, all things are an illusion. Um, uh, 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 spiritual worlds, uh, uh, you know, uh, is there an evil genie? All those things are, 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 um, kind of claims against uh, a natural worldview. And so even 
coming in and interacting with the matrix, or uh, you're going to spite the evil genie by uh, writing a book about him. Uh, you're still operating uh, uh, with a, a, a further back uh, commitment to something that you're relying on natural sciences for. You're communicating, you're, you're writing that book, even to the, if it's to the evil genie, even if it's to, to, to you that, that you're writing about so that you can uh, feel good about yourself in that way. And you're, you're, you're uh, going against the machines or the genie or, or what have you. You're still uh, 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 taking a step back from natural sciences and you're, you're able to look at it even if you believe it's all an illusion. The very methods of natural science, though, depend upon a particular view of reality. Your network of presuppositions tell you the nature of science, the method you use in science, and how to interpret science. It's not tested by science, right? Uh, uh, can, can, can you come up with an a, uh, all-encompassing view of science that also includes science? Nope, because science is just the method well how do you how do you do a scratch test on the method how do you how do you uh you know distill it how do you uh how do you uh, put it on a rocket and shoot it in space to see if it's still true on on the other side of the moon uh, the method not 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 the ideas of that method it's only in terms of those fundamental presuppositions that you can do science if you hold to those if you believe that there's an intrinsic world that it can be studied and if it can be repeated and that's something that uh that you might see in a lot of debates of, of having this uh, this uh, human flaw of of saying, well, how do you know what's true today is what's true tomorrow? Yeah, uh, for uh, for the past hundred days, the sun has come up, but do you know? How do you know other than well, it's just a really good guess that it's happening. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, humans. Yeah, yeah. So he what he does next is kind of give us an illustration of this to kind of help us understand. Let's say that somebody else has a totally different world. Well, they may not come up with the scientific ideas that uh, that we it seems obvious to us. He uses Plato, for instance, right? He said Plato believed that the most ultimate reality was not the physical world, right? It was the realm of ideas or forms. And so, if you see three ducks, Plato would tell us, then you must have an idea of duckness, of which um, they are, you know, instances of this idea of duckness. Okay, so where did the idea of duckness come from? Well, it's not just in our mind. Plato said that the idea of duckness exists outside this world. Uh, it's not part of time and space. So there must be a realm of ideas or forms that are beyond this world. That's what Plato argued for, right? So the real reality, we might say, is this uh, idea, the ideas uh, or the forms uh, that exists outside the physical reality. Mm -hmm. Well, now, what does that do with regard to that makes science a little bit diff more difficult to, to work through, right, if you have an idea. So now the basic reality isn't the physical world. The basic reality is some ideas, some forms that exist beyond the physical world. Right. And the physical world is just the shadow of those ideas. Right. right? And, and so we are two shadows, and so there must be a, a more perfect form, a more perfect being, one that exists fully and encompassing outside of reality to, to give us our form. That form would be God. And he holds, he holds the perfect triangle, and he holds the perfect duckness, and he holds the perfect cat. And so when you get to heaven, you find you, you're standing face to face in front of the perfect triangle uh, with a duck in front of it holding a perfect cat. So we get there standing before the all perfect being. So even, even with Plato, we, we, can, we can trace our, our uh, lineage back to God there. 
<laughs> uh, but if you have a view of reality, that ultimate reality is uh, idea, not flesh and blood, here and now, time and space particulars, then you will not be an, a, a, a empiricist in your theory of knowledge. You will not yeah. say, we know uh, what we know because of our senses. If ultimate, ultimate reality is outside of time and space, then something that is in time and space cannot be the way that you know about it. You, right. And so what the point he's making here is that, um, you know, we take for granted that science is done with a different with a certain method and that sort of thing. But it's based on our worldview. It's based on how we believe things are. If we thought things were different, we had a different worldview, then we would come up with a different idea with regard to you know what science is. Right? If ultimate reality is not the physical world, but it's outside time and space and that sort of thing, uh, then how we know what we know and what we know would have to be different is if indeed that's what our world be held to for us. Right. And so I, that's that's the point he's trying to make here is that the worldviews kind of push us in a particular direction. And even, uh, you know, even to do science we have to make assumptions about the way we believe the world is, right? He says, understanding worldviews has everything to do then with our defense of, uh, of uh, the Christian faith. Uh, because worldviews are a package deal, he tells us, you need to understand that your Christian commitment means that you have uh, made a commitment for all of life. And it's a package deal, so, you know, each part is part of the whole. So everything you think and everything you do is tied to your Christian commitment. Right. We, we see this a lot too, this, this type of like a, uh, 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 different type thinking when we talk about like uh, new age ideas and uh, crystals and uh, Reiki healing and, and uh, kind of all these stuff of, of uh, uh, astrology, uh, you know, th things have different vibrations and it, it wards off or it changes you uh, in, in a different way, in a different fashion. And so, so having, you know, well, you know, th this is just a, a crystal. I can find a whole bunch of them in, in a cave underneath uh, 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 a town that is, is, uh, is always getting flooded. And so your, your claim to have uh, th this type of crystal ward off the, the evil elements doesn't seem to be helping them. Oh, well, if you have too much of them and, and so uh, that, that changes the whole, the whole makeup. And, and so you, you need some bad luck in your life in order to have the good. And so, uh, you know, but how, how, how do we talk to those type of people? How do we talk to, uh, you know, your your uh, white woman friend who t tells you that Venus is in uh, neutrograde or what, whatever, whatever it might be and say, well, no, the planet's just out there. It's, you know, uh, 93 million miles away and uh, it'll come around again. And she goes, yes, that's very important. And so uh, when we have these commitments, we have to realize that there are basic uh, uh, assumptions that we make going into it. And so. Uh, uh, um, talking talking and, and saying well here here's my uh my concludes concluded uh uh outcome uh we have to match it up with yours and they they might say well that that's not what my concluded outcome is and so that that's why we need to take a look at these these um kind of basic assumptions these basic beliefs uh to to kind of get to the root and then from there we can go forward because even even with new ageness you're still operating on a if then, so you, you, you have, you have a, if I do this, then this will happen. Or if I do too much of this. And so there's still, we can still point to uh, uh, flaws within kind of the new age understanding 
uh, and, and see if we can get agreement there. But, uh, but uh, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about internal and external critiques. And so um, uh, that might be where we're going next. Uh, but you need to know as well uh, that the challenge of your Christianity at any point implicitly challenges everything you believe as a Christian and vice versa as well. When the unbeliever's worldview can be attacked at one point, the unbeliever's worldview is endangered at all points. Understanding what worldviews and philosophies are enables you to do a lot of internal uh, destruction within the unbeliever's worldview, as we'll go on to see. Look, right there, uh, internal critiques. Uh, it's one of the, 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 the two-pronged attacks that we can have as uh, presuppositionalists right there. All right. Uh, and so that's the, the end of chapter six. Uh, so you are all now philosophers and you were actually all philosophers before this uh, started, but you're even better informed philosophers now. So <laughs> thanks to uh, uh, Against All Oppositions by Greg Monson. And uh, we're going to uh, continue on next week. Uh, chapter seven, challenges of competing worldviews. And so that's when mm -hmm. we'll, what, what happens when uh, people uh go up to you after you've given a long soliloquy of everything that you know about reality and they go, I disagree. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so believe it or not, we come into a world uh, that has many disagreements between people and instead of fighting each other, let's talk about it. And so uh, we need to define our terms, which Bonson has done and, uh, and talk about our presuppositions, which, uh, which, um, uh, Van Til and uh, Apostle Paul and God, uh, uh, before everything, uh, wanted us to do. He said, uh, do not eat of the tree of the garden. And the, the uh, serpent said, uh, did he really say? And we should have said, by what standard are we talking to a serpent yeah. about, about these things? And so it would have saved us a lot of issues. But at the same time, we know from What About Evil that uh, God would not see the, the most amount of glory. And so that's, uh, that's what we're doing here. We're proclaiming God's glory in, um, in all that we do and all that we think and all that we believe and say. And so uh, we want to tell other people uh, about, those, uh, about that good news. And uh, we have the ability to... Um, uh, be saved from ourselves and uh, uh, be able to uh, unite ourselves underneath the uh, true worldview of the one, uh, the one God uh, who rules and reigns in heaven above. So uh, hopefully uh, you get a lot out of this. Uh, 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 Bonson's always a, a good challenge. And, um, and so uh, we'll turn next week uh, when we come uh, back and talk about uh, the next chapter in his book. Thanks yeah, for yeah, us. yeah. So thank you. He's he's uh, and you know just kind of a teaser here. Next week he's going to give us a list and a map of worldviews. So he's going to kind of break them all down for us and help us to understand it. So that should be a really interesting chapter. Right. Yep. There's there's two other books in the series that also help do that as well. And so uh, if you want to pick them up, the links are in the, the description, cavethecross.com uh, for all the books we've done, including this one. So you can follow along, start at the bottom, work your way up for the episodes and uh, you'll be joining us uh, in, in the next chapter. And so thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. See you next time.